Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Hey folks, quick reminder before we get started, I want to tell you about the Other People app. This podcast has its own official app, the Other People app. It's available wherever you get your apps. Go get the Other People app. Download it onto your device. It's the best way to listen to this program. New episodes automatically upload to the app. You can download episodes to listen to while you're offline. You can favorite your favorite episodes. You get 50 episodes for free. The most recent 50 episodes of the podcast will be waiting for you when you download the app, you can listen to them for free. Then, if you want to get at the deeper archives, if you want to stream every single episode of this program, more than 370 episodes, you just sign up for premium right there within the app. It's very cheap. It's as cheap as 75 cents a month. You get access to everything. You can hear my conversations with dozens of writers, including Blake Butler, Roxanne Gay, Megan Boyle, Sam Pink, Dennis Cooper, George Saunders, Jonathan Lethem, Cheryl Strayed, Sarah Manguso, Ben Marcus, Edgar Carrot, Ben Fountain, Sheila Hetty. Susan Orlean, Lauren Stein, T.C. Boyle, XTX, the list goes on. The Other People app. It's free. Go get it. Thank you. Oh, my God. You are not alone. You have found other people. You and I have a friend in common. Every stupid thing that a writer could do, I've done. I think it's really beautiful. Jesus, dude, what a struggle, you know? It was incredible, you know, it was like your head exploded seeing what was really there. And now here's your host, Brad Listy. Just one person at just one time. Here we go again, this <laughs> right. is it, this is other people, this is essentially one big project, this is trying to become a virus. How's it going? I'm Brad Listy, I'm in Los Angeles, and uh, my guests today are Tao Lin and Mira Gonzalez. Tao Lin and Mira Gonzalez, they have a new book out on short flight, long drive, called selected tweets it's available now and i had tao and mira here just earlier today just a few hours ago they were sitting right here we had a conversation i'm sharing it with you now their new book selected tweets what do you think it is it's a collection of their tweets not everybody can get away with this not every author can get away with publishing their tweets but tao and mira uh, i believe uh are you know they have a uh, a readership that's very much tied to the internet and social media. They've cultivated, uh, you know, those relationships online via social media. And uh, they're unusually gifted tweeters. They put an unusual amount of time and energy and thought into their tweets. They're just good at it. We talk about all that. So they came over just a little bit ago. Uh, Tao 
showed up with a, a very large clamshell of blueberries in a Whole Foods shopping bag, which uh, which seemed like I was I was like yeah of course like I, that seemed very tau it seemed very uh, like almost expected. Mira, as far as I know, did not have any fresh produce on her uh, person. Though she, I think she had a bag, so maybe there was something in the bag. Tao had an actual shopping bag and uh, had a very large clamshell of uh, blueberries. And then there's an orange tree in my backyard. And before we got started with the interview, uh, Tao and I uh, stood under the orange tree and discussed uh, the fruit that it was producing. And uh, I, I know very little about like flora and fauna and nature and like what the names of trees and plants are. I'm not good at that. Uh, obviously, I know an orange tree when I see it because of the oranges. But uh, he asked me, like, you know, can we eat these? And I said, I think uh, I think that the oranges only uh, ripen in the winter. Isn't citrus a winter fruit? Isn't that nature's way of saying, like, oh, hey, I, uh, I hear you have a cold. Have this. So we discussed it, and it was, like, uh, determined that maybe uh, it produces fruit year-round. And so he picked up an orange out of the uh, flower bed at the base of the tree, and he peeled it. And he attempted to eat it. And uh, the verdict was that the, the orange had very little taste. Hey, do you need some new earbuds? Do you need some new headphones? Go to tweakedaudio.com and get 33% off of any purchase when you enter the offer code Other People. O-T-H-E-R-P-P-L. Go to tweakedaudio.com. Get some earbuds. Get some headphones. Improve your situation. So you can follow this show on Twitter. Do you know that? I have a Twitter presence. I have some selected tweets. I haven't published them, but they're there. You can read them. Uh, you can follow this show on Twitter. The handle for this show on Twitter is at other PPL. At other PPL. Follow it. Follow me. I do most of my tweeting. Uh, you know, uh, um, uh, you know. when it comes to my activity on Twitter, most of it happens these days. At other PPL. I also have an, uh, another account, at Brad Listy. Follow that one too if you want to. Uh, I feel like I've always in my head considered that Twitter feed to be where I'm, you know, I put my best stuff. And lately, uh, it's been sort of uh, quiet, dormant, putting too much pressure on it. I talk about this with Tao and Mira. I probably shouldn't step on my own lines. We get into this in the interview. So, uh, yeah, those are my Twitter handles. The other PPL uh, Twitter handle, the pot, you know, for the podcast, I feel a little bit more at liberty to just share with uh, my followers the random thoughts that occur to me it's much looser it's not really edited it's messy it can be annoying i'm sure lately i've been tweeting about uh the iran nuclear deal a lot i got really obsessed with that i'm kind of a news junkie not as bad as i used to be but i'm into uh politics i like to read about it geopolitics like the weird and twisted dysfunction of washington I feel like uh, I'm sort of in the closet on that. I don't. I go through phases where I'm like, you know what? Don't even don't even engage. It's toxic. Don't talk about it. It, it, it. You know, it stresses people out or it annoys them. But then lately, I've been kind of throwing caution to the wind because I'm thinking, you know what? I'm a parent. I have a kid. Um, they have a future ahead of them. I can't sit silent if I feel like I have an informed opinion on these things. I have a voice in America. What's wrong with speaking my mind? You don't have to agree with me. I could be wrong, but I do feel like I read about this stuff more than most people. So my opinion is at least semi-informed. Why not share it on Twitter? 
No one's paying attention anyway, except for like the five people who happen to be online. Over-caffeinated at midnight or whatever. Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. So uh, Tao Lin and Mira Gonzalez are my guests. They have this new book out. It's called Selected Tweets, available from Short Flight Long Drive Books. It looks like a little Bible, like a little Gideon's Bible, the kind that you get in the drawer at your hotel room. I think that's what it's supposed to look like. I think that's part of the uh, design. Selected Tweets by Tao and Mira. They were just here. We talked. Do you want to hear that conversation? I met Tao. I had read Tao's books before I ever knew Tao. Um, My friend Spencer, who I've known uh, since high school, lent me bed. And I really liked it. Wait, you met Spencer Madsen in high school? No, no, no. Different Spencer. Spencer Lewin. Okay. (laughs) See, we're clarifying. Yeah. Okay, Um, good. So I liked the book. And then I think I started following Tao on Twitter. And then I found uh, Moo Moo House, um, which is Tao's uh, publishing house. And uh, I found a couple other authors on there, including Jordan Castro, who I followed. And then uh, Jordan and I started emailing a little bit. And then I I think that's how Tao found my Twitter account. He sort of started like favoriting a couple tweets of mine, and then. Um, so Tao, that was it was on Twitter that you found Mira. Yeah, it was. I think Jordan Castro one day just emailed me like, "Look at this person's Twitter. It's pretty funny." And I looked at it. It was pretty funny. I don't remember if I just followed you. I don't think I just followed you like that. I I maybe like favorited a few things and like. After some time, she was still there. Like, Jordan was still talking about her. So I looked at it again. And at some point, I probably followed you. Okay. Yeah. And by the way, the following, just I feel like there's a judiciousness about who gets followed. Like, some people on Twitter say, I'll just follow anybody. Depends what my account is. Like, on my other people account, I always follow people back if they follow me. But you're very selective about who you follow. Tao. Yeah, I... <laughs> I think on average I've probably followed like between fifty and one hundred and fifty. Because you followed me and then you've unfollowed me. Oh and yeah. And I try not I to take th- that personally, but like you do that, like you get sick of me. Is that what it is? No, actually, I've been asked this question. Spencer asked me this question at at the launch party for this book. Right. And I said that sometimes when I get stoned, like right after I inhale, I'll I'll 
my I'll have a lot of different thoughts and I'll just do something impulsively, but it'll seem like that's what I want to do. <laughs> and I'll do that a few times. Then sometimes I'll just think like I'm following way too many people. I need to unfollow some people and I'll look at the list and I'll just not completely randomly, but I'll just like, mm. right, 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 right. <laughs> and then, so it's like, but I mean like there are people who are on the A team. Like there are people who, who you would never, you would never unfollow Mira. Like you've never unfollowed me for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Like like people that you publish on Moo Moo House, like you would never unfollow them, right? I would unfollow them because I follow them on the Moo Moo House account. Oh right, you have like a yeah. list, a Twitter list. Well, no, just the Moo Moo House's followers, right? The people who have been published by Moo Moo House. So and and so in terms of keeping like part of it is ratio because I know there's some sort of a, like there's something to the appearance of having like twenty thousand followers and like you only follow fifty people. There's something that like that that's a signifier of fame or something. <laughs> Yeah, it's like more impressive, I guess, because then you like I don't know have a following. I mean, if your ratio is out of balance, like if you, if you're following more people than that are following you, that's like extremely <laughs> bad Twitter etiquette. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, for me, I I like to read every tweet on my timeline, like all of them. So if I follow too many people, I can't do it. Um, so I, that's like why I keep it down to a small amount. That's how I feel. Like you know, for my Brad Listy account, like I follow just a few people. I try to keep it to people that I know or have had some personal interaction with, or like a really good connection with on this show or something like that. Because uh, otherwise, it's just too overwhelming and you miss too much. You know, it's, it's just like it's this torrent. But I will say, like on the other people account, I follow mostly literary people, and it is a torrent. And I like it because it gives me like this weird like. Um, I don't know. It's Gestalt like, it's like a news feed or something. It's like almost. a news feed, but you just get like this flash, weird, like aggregate sense of what everyone's talking about by looking at it. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, it's like you're looking into nature or something. Yes, yeah. Because <laughs> in nature, you're not going to get everything. You'll just get like a bird flying by or something. Right. So you get the randomness. I can see that. Yeah, yeah. but it's not personal. Unless it's like, you know, maybe someone, I'll see a mirror tweet and then maybe we'll get into a conversation. But you know, I miss a lot of your tweets when I'm looking at Twitter from that account. Yeah, we, we never have conversations on your Brad Listy account. Your Brad I, Listy account seems kind of defunct. It, it is kind of defunct because this is the thing. Like, that's the account from which I'm thinking I'll try to tweet things that really are meaningful or like my best material. And I clearly don't have it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you never, ever. I mean, you were doing that... Um, that retweeting thing, which I'm going to be honest with you, I muted you because it was too annoying. <laughs> I know. I think Tao, you unfollowed me when I started doing the binge retweeting. Maybe, but I. But when she just said that, I had very fond memories of your retweeting thing. Yeah. Maybe it was just too much, yeah. too many. But if you just did like three or four of them a day, I think I would have stayed on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was too impressed with my own joke. Yeah. I think. Yeah, even if it was like ten or fifteen a day, I think I would have stayed on. But it was like. It was like 50 or like 100 a day. No, like was... I think what I wanted to do, like there was something there was something about it that was angry. There was anger in it. Like I was mad at Twitter. I feel like you have a lot of anger at Twitter. I like do. knowing you, you have like you get very insecure. <laughs> like it'll be like like at night I'll like get texts from you and like you'll be like, "Oh, like I like I can't tweet anything good or like is this tweet good or like should I tweet this and like a really frustrated sound I worry I no, worry but about it's, you Brad. I understand but it's a generational thing like you guys are in younger than I am uh, I feel like you uh, are more natural at social media maybe than I am like it's it's a it's a context in which you operate with like a more intuitive sense of how it goes we kind of grew up with it so you, Mira especially Tao you're what eight years younger than me seven years you're 32 yeah I'm 30 I'm 32, yes. Yeah, okay. So you're seven years. So like, but that's like a pretty good gap. I mean, in terms of like internet internet time, seven years is like an eternity. But Mira, like you grew up online. 
And so this is how you've communicated with your friends since you were like, what, 12 years old? Yeah, I've, um, yeah, I've had the internet for, I mean, I remember when I was like really young, we had like dial up and stuff like that. And I wasn't on like, you know, social media specifically, but all through middle school and high school, um, I was talking to my friends on like AOL Instant Messenger or like, you know, all that kind of stuff. So (laughs) you're not self-conscious about your Twitter at all. Either of you, Mira, you're, you just, you just say what you want. Yeah, no, I'm not self-conscious about it. How I'm, much crafting do you do? Do you draft and save and refine and then tweet, or are you just impulsively tweeting? Um, it depends. I have some drafts. Um, for the most part, I feel like if I have a draft and feel like I need to like edit it a lot, then that's generally like a tweet that isn't going to end up being very good. Like My best tweets are the tweets that I'm the most proud of are ones that kind of just come to me and... Uh, they, I do edit them. I edit all the tweets and I put effort into them, like the same amount of effort that I put into poetry or prose. But, um, I feel like good tweets come fast. Yeah. And if I, I obsess <laughs> and noodle over a tweet and then put it up, the joke is almost always like beaten to death and dead. It has to come out like hot and fast. Yeah. Like if I, if I obsess over a tweet, it, it never ends up good. That's right. why I try to keep as few drafts as I possibly like. Sometimes I'll keep like ideas in drafts. Like I'll keep like a, just like, a, oh, it'd be funny to like. I don't know, tweet about this thing. And then I'll just like write like a couple words in a draft to remind myself that crafting a tweet about a specific topic might be funny, but I don't ever really draft like full on tweets. Okay. And then tell, tell what is your process? I feel like you keep a lot of shit in drafts. Am I wrong? I used to okay. now I lost or my phone broke about two months ago and I lost all my drafts i think no it was before even this time it broke like a year before that it broke and i lost all my drafts and since then wait you I lost your drafts stopped. because you uh, but is, aren't the drafts in twitter they're not in your phone they're in twitter but but when you lose the app and re-download it or something like that all the drafts are gone oh really you can't save drafts on like twitter.com you have to save them on like your app ah. on your phone oh okay see look i'm learning and i barely tweet anymore partly because i've been working on a novel so right after i drink caffeine i'll usually have like two hours where i have more thoughts and usually it's during those times when i'll have like a tweetable thought right but now during a those tweetable times thought. <laughs> I'm, I'm just at with my novel open when working on that and you put them into your novel not necessarily i have a notes file on my computer and I'll either put it there, or it's just that they don't occur because I'm focused on working on a novel. You're fo- you're disciplined. No. No. Just during those two, usually it's like an hour and a half right after caffeine. Just caffeine. E- each day. Lately, just caffeine, yeah. Okay. I was yeah. going to ask, are both of you sober right now? That's a relevant question, isn't it? Um. Yeah, I'm sober right now. I mean, I've had coffee, but other okay. than that, I'm sober. Tao? I had a hit of weed in the car. Okay. And the coffee. That's that's fine. I feel like that's mild. Yeah, that's I mean, I uh I generally don't do any kinds of drugs like when it's light out. I um can't get I mean, I smoke pot pretty often. Um but if I smoke pot during the day, my whole day is kind of ruined. Like I, I some people can be really productive when they're stoned and I feel like I have You just the, turn into a lizard or whatever. Yeah, I turn into a crazy stoned <laughs> lizard. My eyes get all small and weird and move far apart on my head. You tweet and, about this and, a lot. Yeah, I tweet a lot when I'm stoned. I can tweet when I'm stoned really okay. well. So I wanna t- I wanna talk to you, Mira, about and I don't know Tal if you do as much of this, but like you you tweet photographs of yourself. Yeah. Provocative photographs. Oh well Brad. <laughs> well yourself in like various states of undress. <laughs> 
sexual, like like sexually suggestive positions. Uh-huh. This is true. Okay. And then I also hear you tweet, like sometimes you'll be like, I'm sick of getting dick pics from guys. Yeah. And I get that. But I'm also like, Mira, you're tweeting yourself, like, you know, doing the splits in your bed and like... Are you telling me I deserve to get no. dick pics because of the photos I post? <laughs> no, but it does... Are you blaming the victim, no. <laughs> Brad? <laughs> no. But it presents an interesting question. Tao, do you have a comment on this? I think so. Okay. It's not a good... It might not be a good comment. I was just thinking that um, the photos I've seen that she has posted don't necessarily have, like, seem provocative. Because cause I could imagine me laying on my bed, taking photos of myself, and no one would think it was provocative, but I'd be wearing the same thing as Mira. Yeah. In a lot of them. But, I mean, like, in, like, the context of social media, knowing how creepy guys can be. I, I mean, mean, you know, you should be able, I guess you should be able to tweet whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. Without getting people sending you pictures of their genitalia. I, I feel like I should be, like, if I wanted to, and I don't want to do this, don't get me wrong, but if I wanted to tweet full-on porn, right. I still think that it would be wrong for someone to send me an unsolicited dick pic. Right. I didn't, like, ask for that. But do you want male attention? Um, I want male attention from, like, males who I like and are my friends. Um, right. Sure. And, like, it's, you know, flattering if someone says you're pretty or whatever, but uh, I wouldn't... It's a um, fine line, though, because if guys are like, oh, you're so hot, like, they can get pervy quick. Well, it's it's... If like a, I mean, I think that men should be smart enough to know the difference between like what's a creepy fucking weird thing to say and what's like an okay thing to say. Like if you're like with a friend, like say I was like with Tao and Tao was like, that's a pretty dress. Like that wouldn't be creepy. That would be normal. But like say someone sends me an email that's like, I want to fuck you so bad. Like that's weird. You get that? All the time. Like every day. Every day. Yeah. (laughs) And I would venture to say like probably most, uh women who are as active on social media as I am and have emails that are public, like, get creepy emails like that almost every day. Tao, do you get sexually solicited via, uh, you know, email and based on your Twitter or your internet presence? Not that much. Ever happened? But it does happen sometimes. Like, once every one and a half years. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that never happens to me. I mean, it's just, it's weird being a woman. It's harder to be a woman online, I feel like. The people who email you stuff like that, do they have emails that are like their name or their name is connected with the email? Um, sometimes. It, it depends. Like sometimes I'll get guys who – like I've had people who will email me every single day for like months or even like a year and I never ever respond. And sometimes those people like have their real names and that's like confusing and yeah, bizarre to I me. I was going to ask you. You don't respond usually. No, if someone's being creepy, I never respond. Just, yeah, yeah, that's it. I also have people who email me like every single day, just about their lives or something. They just use me as like their journal because I think they can like sort of fantasize that I am reading some of it and like. Do you it read it? Them some purpose. Some of them. Some yeah. of them. Are they are they ever any good? Or are they kind of like sad and scary? They're never sad or scary because I feel like I've done stuff like this and I <laughs> didn't feel like overly scared of myself. Right. I felt sad. Okay. Yeah. I've like emailed people, like famous people. Like who? Long emails. Who? I met, emailed um, Mary Robeson, okay. the writer. But she's like literary famous. Email. Did she respond to you? No, she didn't respond. Okay. I emailed, I wrote a letter to Kurt Vonnegut. And I wrote a letter to Gore Vidal. Those are the two people that I've wow. yeah, never heard back. <laughs> I I really don't mind, actually, when strangers email me if it's not creepy. Like, if well, someone, sure. like, emails me and is like, 
I like your writing or even if they email me and they're like I'm having a bad day like that's even like entertaining and like nice to me yeah it's it's only the dick pics that bother me <laughs> right what if somebody wrote you like a really heartfelt letter about how like what a bad day they're having and then at the bottom just like a softly lit dick pic <laughs> a softly lit <laughs> well if it's softly lit that's fine <laughs> like one of the filters or something you oh know? well Where's... as long as they put an instagram filter on it i don't mind you can send me whatever you want as long as it has a filter on it i just want yeah what do you call it when like the edges of the frame are soft what do you call it oh like matte, it's like right? fading out or yeah, something, something. Anyway. Yeah, 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 so. yeah so okay tao when it comes to social media and i mean this kind of goes back to the first question that i asked with regard to you you know your guys's origin story as friends um you know, you and your work have had unusually strong resonance with uh, younger people, people about a generation behind you. How long is a generation? Like 10, 20 years, 15 years? I think it's like 20. Okay. Maybe not quite a generation. I never quite know the math, but 10 years behind you, let's just say. Um, like that age range that has attached to your work. That's not the only age range, but I feel like you have a lot of resonance with that group, like with Mira's generation or whatever. Um she found you on, you know, her, her friends were talking about your work. You found each other online. I'm imagining that scenario has played itself out more than once for you. Uh, was it something you actively tried to cultivate? Like, did you look at people Mira's age, people who came up living online, who were like fish to water when it came to social media? And did you say to yourself, like, you know, I feel like my work would resonate with these people or I know how to connect with these people. This is sort of like a way for me to get the word out about my work because they're all online. It's a social apparatus. They can talk about the work potentially and share it with each other. Is it something that you like consciously thought of or was it more accidental than that? I think it was totally accidental because with my first four books, maybe I didn't feel I had a large young fan base it wasn't until something like 2009 when this guy carl's had this blog called hipster runoff who is carl's they thought it was you for a while yeah he's just a i think he's mexican and he lives in texas he's el chapo yeah that's his <laughs> yeah i couldn't remember his name that's him so wait, okay. But I don't know who that guy is, but I keep seeing his name. He's who like a, he? he's a Mexican drug lord who just escaped from prison in like a, ch a tunnel. Nice. It's just he won't leave, he won't leave my Twitter feed. Everyone's talking about yeah, El Chapo. The tunnel was air conditioned, apparently. Yeah, there was a motorcycle in it. I mean, the guy's got like a billion dollars, and he's able to like that's like the kind of prison break he can finance. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> yeah. Good for him. <laughs> So what was I talking about? Um, like young people, Carl's. Oh yeah, I didn't have a young fan base that people call hipsters before like 2009 and then carl's on his blog linked my blog at some point and the link was asian poet or something and i didn't even know who he was then so but he linked me and i had stack counter and his website got me like a ton of hits okay so we at some point we started talking and he would just mentioned me more times and his audience is so huge compared to like any is it still no now it's like he stopped doing it and he sold it oh, and did. i didn't keep um what do you mean he sold it up he, to date. doesn't he have to do it in order for it to work or does he just sell the brand he, he just sold like the domain name hipster runoff i think right like he didn't uh well he sold the domain name but he also 
gave instructions to possible owner like what they could do with it and one of them was like you could just keep writing posts like this hire different people to write posts or whatever but i don't know what happened with that okay yeah it's weird like in internet life like these things come and go there's a lot of like right like rising and falling of little movements and sites and then they just sort of disappear it's hard to sustain anything online i feel like yeah it's it's sort of not that new though, because civilizations would rise and fall. Right. But with the internet, time is like sped up, arguably in a way. So it's just right. the same thing happening. And it's it's also just more concrete. Like you know, if you um, like if there was like a uh, a trend in in poetry, say, uh, it, and it was only in books that were published, uh, like on paper it would it's slower and sort of maybe harder to see that there's a trend going on but on the internet if a trend happens you know there's a million people who are going to write an article saying wow check out this trend and then everybody all of a sudden is immediately aware of that trend um so it sort of makes it like easier to grasp the trends i guess it's like the half-life is so much it just goes it's it burns itself out so much more quickly maybe than it would if it were some sort of like irl phenomenon yeah yeah definitely but also like i think the 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 rise is quicker too you know what i'm saying it might I feel like things can go viral online and like suddenly everybody knows about it in a matter of hours and then everybody's sick of it <laughs> by the next day and something else has come in and replaced it. Yeah, definitely. So do you guys, okay. So do you guys think because you guys as writers have at least like some part of your success is tied to online? I mean, right. So do you ever think to yourself, like, how do I sustain this? Like, cause pretty soon, you know, maybe there's going to be some younger generation of writers who like are periscoping or doing something <laughs> that like, you know, pretty soon. You laugh at me for being like behind the eight ball on Twitter. You're going to be old one day too. <laughs> I mean, I, I know it. I'm like soon enough. I don't know. One day I'll have grandkids and they'll be doing some shit that I'll have no idea what it is. And then I'll be old just like you, Brad. They'll be like, grandma, you spent a lot of time in this green room, didn't you? <laughs> grandma, did you ever leave your room? <laughs> I mean, I guess with my writing in the internet specifically, um, and I think this is also what appealed to me about Tao's writing in the beginning is that. So if you're a writer who publishes uh, books on paper and you have an internet presence, um, it's sort of, and if you're writing about your life and you're also posting about your life online, it sort of becomes more than the book itself. It kind of becomes a a larger project. So like, say, like when Tao wrote Richard Yates, um, you can read that book. And then if you do enough research, you can look at the characters from that book online and you can read their Twitter accounts and you can you can see what's going on there. Um, and that's really, really what fascinated me, because then it sort of becomes <clears throat> not only a larger art project, but something that uh, pertains to real life and real time. Um, and I think that that's uh, something that I try to do with my writing also. OK, so I was going to say, Tao, is that something like was that meta level, something that you consciously tried to create did you want that for your readers or like you know because i mean a lot of writers work autobiographically but it just so happened that a lot of the characters or the composites of real people in your real life happen to also have strong presences online and on social media so it lent itself to that like were you cognizant of that as you were writing i wasn't well at least in the beginning i wasn't at all i don't think before 2005 when i was 22 i didn't have an online presence I didn't get Facebook in college, I don't think. Or I got it, like, in the last year of college. Not because it just came out, but because I, like, didn't have any friends. So there was no... <laughs> I couldn't even find out there was something called Facebook that people were using. Right. And then when I got it, since I didn't have 
that many friends, <laughs> it was really hard to use it. Yeah. You know how... You, like, who do you friend? Who do you connect with? Yeah. Yeah. Well, not just that. It's just if you don't have a lot of activity on Facebook and you're trying to communicate with, like, acquaintances. Never mind. Just <laughs> so I got Facebook really late and I didn't have an internet presence and I never thought about having like an internet presence but then I but you're very good at it you're unusually good at creating an internet presence for somebody who didn't know how to use it <laughs> you have a well, good intuitive but, sense I, I, <laughs> <laughs> well then I got because this was in 2005 I was reading a lot of lit blogs like Maud Newton yeah. Tingle Alley Al some other ones, book slot, and then I started my own blog, and I was kind of reader, reader to, of depressing books. Yeah, yeah, and I was kind of modeling it off those lit blogs. Like I would write about literary things, and some days I'd have links, and that just evolved into something more personal. Like I'll write more personal stuff on a blog, and since I had it since 2005, I guess I learned throughout the years. You used to write for The Nervous Breakdown. Yeah. And they were always like really, I felt like they were really uh, different than everything else that I was publishing on that site. It would be like a list of comic books that you liked. or Those are still up. Yeah, I they're still there. Yeah, I remember writing those. Yeah. I remember feeling very free back then. Yeah, well, and back in the day, too, I remember, you know, I didn't know a lot of people in the literary world. I was just, I, you know, you meet a lot of people or like quote unquote meet them by way of being online. And I remember you sent me copies of um, early work. Like, I mean, you sent me a copy of bed, you wrote your name in it. And then you, you put a picture in and it was the picture that you used to use as your avatar of some really angry Asian guy, like doing like martial arts or something. Tennis. Yeah. Tennis a guy playing tennis. Yeah. yeah. And, and I looked at it and I was like, I didn't know you. So I was like, is this him? <laughs> yeah. I remember you talking about that. Yeah. When we did the show, I was yeah. like, no, it's a tennis player. <laughs> Um, but I don't know, right away, like it just, it just sort of stood out. And then I feel like you guys have both done, and I, I guess a lot of it's just intuitive. You've done both done a very good intuitive job of building for lack of a better word, uh, your own like literary brands online and via social, and you found a way to connect. But I think that when it comes to virality, and I would pose this as a question, when it comes to building like a large follower base, when it comes to creating content that is sticky and that people share and that people favorite and retweet and get enthused about in an organic way, you can't game that. Like you can't game it. Like you can, you have to put the work up. I mean, or, or can you game it? I mean, are you, you know, what, what do you mean by game? It? I mean, like you can't like have some, I mean, I guess if like Katy Perry retweets you, you're going to get a ton of new followers. I guess there are certain people who can move the needle on social, but at some point, like whatever you're writing just has to be good. And it has to connect authentically with people somehow. And that's just like uh, talent, luck, timing. I don't know what it is, but it's got to be there first. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just the the ability to develop a fan base at all. You know, like before the internet, like, you know, I mean, you had like the Rolling Stones, say, you know, and they were able to develop a following by being charismatic and by having good music and by playing shows and whatnot. And now that we have the internet, it's kind of just another venue for developing an audience. So it's it's less about the internet itself and just, yeah, like you were saying, more about uh, knowing what your fan base would be interested in or knowing what your generation is interested in and knowing what you're interested in and um, 
and being honest i think people people respond to honesty and people respond to emotional honesty and humor and humor definitely but i mean for like sure. the two kind of tied together yeah so i think it's like it's it's less about the internet itself and more about you know being honest and um and knowing who you're catering to knowing who your audience is yeah. tao do you have thoughts on that I think some of it is just why we seem to have succeeded at something is just because most people don't try to do it. Don't try to do, don't try to succeed at the internet? Yeah. Or like, a lot of people probably don't try to have like an audience either. Like if you tried to do it and continue doing it for like five years, you'll definitely have some kind of fan base. And how much of it is reciprocity too? Like, do you actively cultivate followers? Are you favoriting certain people and like retweeting certain people strategically to try to get reciprocity from them? Like there is some sort of gamesmanship to it. That's like, there's a, it's not necessarily discussed much, but it has to happen behind the scenes. Well, I think, um, any type of artist would benefit from befriending that type of artist. So like, if you're a writer your career will benefit from befriending other writers. So online that, you know, would manifest in favorites and retweets and stuff like that. So definitely, I think... Do you ever, like, retweet a tweet that's really not in your heart? Like, you're like, I don't <laughs> think this really deserves to be retweeted, but I'm going to retweet it because this person has 6 million followers? No, never. never. Definitely not. Yeah. I um, I mean, I suppose would be more likely to, like, retweet somebody who is an author that I admire than I would be to retweet a stranger. But I would never, like, retweet something that I just didn't like to like you know climb the social ladder because i feel like that's but i feel like that happens all the time in my twitter feed like i look at twitter sometimes and i see all these writers like quote unquote celebrating one another being like hey what's up it's so good to see you you always have a problem with this i do because you like because i don't think it's authentic what it seems like bullshit to me but like like, what makes you say that it's bullshit exactly just 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 intuition like i'm like they aren't really that good of friends like they're just trying to sort of like i think their self-interest is predominant is what i that's my maybe i'm just being too cynical have you have you ever thought that about me? Um, no, I mean I think like no, I think I think part I think of you're the reason, lying. No, well, I mean I think I think there are certain instances where I feel like you're gaming the system and you're being shrewd, and okay. you're trying to build a brand and like build an audience, and sometimes relationships, cyber relationships, can be more transactional than human. Right. Well, I mean I think that definitely if you're an artist who's trying to build an audience. Um, you're going to do your best to try to befriend people who can help you with that because, you know, in the end of the day, it's a, it's a career. So like if you were working in an office, say you would want your boss to like you, right? you know? So if you're an artist, you would want, um, authors who are more successful than you to like you and support your work because that's a, so how a way get, to become successful. How do you get them to like you Tao? How do you get like an author who has a bigger platform or like a bigger audience, like somebody who could potentially help your cause? How do you get them? How do you win them to your side? I think you just publicly express admiration for their work. And I felt I felt uncomfortable with this kind of stuff. Where like if someone more famous than you likes your work, it seems like the smart thing to do is to like say thank you. I love your work also. Right. Or something like that. Right. And just continue to go down that path doesn't seem sustainable or like it's going to lead to a life where I'm, it'll lead to life where I'm like just saying things I don't feel right to people in order to get 
something from them. That's what I think. So I've tried to avoid that, but it seems like every well, <laughs> seems like a lot of celebrities are engaged with that, and I think if you're a happy enough person, which I'm not, you can you can. <laughs> I just, don't think any of us. Are. <laughs> you can just like engage with anyone and be like, oh, I love your work, and actually feel that. I think, but I can't. Yeah, I have to reserve that word for like friends and family. Well, or just like where you genuinely feel it. But well, like there can- I think that goes back to like the like the honesty thing that I was saying. Like audiences respond to honesty. So if you like I think I did this with Tao, for example. Like I think I really admired Tao and I really liked his work. And so I reached out to him and he uh helped me become a more successful writer. Um and I think that like that's honest and an audience will respond to that because Tao and I are friends and I mean it. You right. know, and that's uh genuine and there's nothing wrong with that, I don't think. But definitely I think like it can get a little it can get a little tricky, like somebody comes out and does you a favor. Like somebody somebody with a bigger readership than you celebrates you. Mm-hmm. You can feel the urge, not not only and it's not entirely inauthentic. It can be like you're grateful and so you wanna you wanna reciprocate. But like it might not be entirely true. <laughs> maybe right. you haven't read all their work, or maybe you didn't really respond to yeah. it internally, like with the great amount of positivity. But you can have that impulse to want to say, like, "I love your work too," and that's human. I understand that. Yeah, and I also think that um, I don't know, like encouraging people to write, even if it's not the type of writing that you enjoy. I feel like there's nothing wrong with that. You know, like I feel like um. I feel like any type of encouragement towards writing, I am in support of. So even if, um, you know, if somebody, even somebody who's bigger than me, if they say like, I really like your writing and I respond, wow, I really like your writing too. Um, to me, that is, you know, even if maybe I don't like their writing that much, um, that is me telling them like, writing obviously makes you feel happier and less alone in the world and that's great and you should continue doing it um right. and that i feel is is good and i'm in support of it so do you ever like follow people on twitter strategically like this is a writer who i think like i should follow because they seem to be getting a lot of heat on social media and like maybe if i publicly um align with them and social media could potentially help me I've never gone that deep into into it, but I've, I'm a conspiracy theorist, by the way. Bush did 9/11. I've probably followed some people that I didn't really care for their work before, just to get noticed by them or something like that. Yeah, but I also try to don't do that. Like you've you, you've tried to like dial that back. I I'm trying to like not have that be a part of my life at all. Yeah. But you don't need it as much anymore. I feel like Tao, you like you've built yourself up at least within the literary community, where like most people know who you are. Yeah, but a part of that is, well, I think I would still follow. No, no never mind. Forget what I just said after you stopped talking. I have something else to say. Um, <laughs> sometimes I want to follow someone even if I don't know their work or like like their work a lot because i would like to be like friends with them or something okay or hang out with them or something independent of their work almost sort of or it's like or is it a woman you're into a woman and you're like i want to hang out with you that could be it too yeah it could be like flirting (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay so I'll, 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 i'll transition to another question and like 
you know, we talk about all the good things that can happen with social media. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, that is a big part of the success that you guys have had in terms of building your readership, but there can be a dark side too. It can come back to bite you, uh, last fall internet scandal, um, online. I mean, I don't know if like how to summarize this, but there was a big amount of, um, sexual scandal in the literary community, in the indie lit community, alt lit community. I, it was like a fever that swept over the internet and social media. What in the September, it lasted about a month yeah. and it was a crazy time for anybody who's tuned into that channel on social media, which is a very small niche. It was sort of dominated the news, so to speak. And I know it was very, it was probably very difficult for you. I know that it had some level of difficulty for you um, because you were somewhat implicated in it. Mm -hmm. um, so you've seen that you've lived through that aspect of it as well. Like, did you ever find yourself going like, God, this is more trouble than it's worth? Or did you ever, did you ever contemplate like just unplugging and stopping communication? Like, how did you guys sort that out? And like, where are you with it now? I don't think that's necessarily connected to social media for me. S something like that happening, I view the cause as... And, and you know what? For people listening who might not have context, we should... Like, what happened? Like, it was... it was Like, where did it start? Um, so, uh, there was a... I mean, it's, it's really... Stephen Tully Dirks got yeah. accused of being... Of being a rapist, basically. Oh. Um, so a, a woman wrote an essay about uh, Stephen raping her. Right. Um, and then that sort of uh, went viral, for lack of a better word. Um, and uh, Stephen was, like, you know, not no longer part of the community. And I think it, it uh, started a lot of conversations about consent and a lot of, of concerns about, you know who else is doing this and what's going on and are other authors, you know, taking advantage of women. And it, it sort right. of kind of caused a, a mass panic on the internet that somebody... And something, I mean, and something of a witch hunt? Yes, definitely. Um, yeah. Well, because I think that uh, something like that is so scary, especially for women that, um, I mean, you know, mostly for women, that right. um, somebody who was so embedded in the community and somebody that uh, so many of us knew and were friends with was doing something like this behind the scenes and we had no idea. Um, and I think that that really freaked people out. And I think that that, um, did lead to a sort of group think sort of, um, I, a witch hunt for lack of a better word in, in which they were, in my opinion, uh, cause Tao, you, you were, you got accused as well, but, but not by the same person. It was a different thing where like suddenly someone else was like, Oh, by the way, Tao Lin, I mean, you can talk to it. Well, I wasn't accused of the same thing. I was accused of having sex with someone who was below the age that was legal in that state. Right. Did we finish talking about the other part? I guess so, yeah. I mean, it's like it's kind of because it's kind of of a piece. I mean. Okay, well, my thing was in 2005 or 2006, I had a blog. And someone named Ellen Kennedy commented on my blog, and we started talking. And then after talking on the phone for, like, a month, I went to visit her in Pennsylvania. Actually, I'm not sure if I should talk about, like, real life. 
because I'm not sure if she would want that. So I'll just fast forward some. In 2010, I published a novel called Richard Yates. And in the novel, the two main characters are Dakota Fanning and Haley Jo Osmond. And Haley Jo Osmond meets Dakota Fanning on the internet. And then he goes to visit her in her state. And then they get into a relationship that lasts like seven months. When the novel ends, the relationship is still happening. And during those seven months, Haley Jo Osmond at first visits... Dakota Fanning like once a week or something then finally he decides they decide that he it'll be good if he moves there and it's about two or three hours away and then he moves there and Dakota Fanning is living with a single mother and she has an older brother who is like regularly just disappearing and has been to the mental hospital. And they, did I already say single mother? Well, yeah. they yeah. live with a single mother. <laughs> and the dad is like a really shy person who like, at, at, if there's any problem, he'll just go somewhere else. So he's not at the house at the time. Okay. And throughout the relationship, at first, Haley Drosman hides the relationship from... Hilly Jaws and Dakota Fanning hide the relationship from Dakota Fanning's mother. Because Dakota Fanning has actually run away from home before to go see an, a much older person. Oh, yeah, Haley Jaws is 22 when they meet, and Dakota Fanning is 16. So he moves to be near her, and then her mother finds out and at first she's angry, but then she likes him and wants him to move in with them. Just because she's a single mother who works 9 to 5 every day and drives like an hour to work. I mean, not just because of that, but that's a factor in it. But they decide it's better if he lives like 10 minutes away where he already lives. But he still stays over at her house a lot. And over time, they have a lot of relationship problems. It's probably better if I just leave people to read the book if they want to learn all that stuff. Sure. So that book was published in 2010. I guess I have to talk about real life some more now. After the person named Ellen Kennedy who had a blog who found my blog and we had a relationship and I moved to be near her, then the relationship ended. I moved back to New York. Years passed. I published her poetry book. It's called Sometimes My Heart Pushes My Ribs in 2009. And we remained friends, emailing like once every few months until three months before the internet shit show happened. Right. September of 2014. Yeah. And after our relationship ended to that point, she had, she was on medication for a lot of it because her mom like really trusts 
I feel like that's going too much in real life. So I'll stop there with that. But she's been to, she would sometimes have a nurse breakdown and go to the hospital. And like during those few days, she wouldn't even remember what she had done during those times. And she's written about it in emails to me and stuff. And I feel like during another one of those times, and I feel like this because Maud Newton tweeted something to her saying, like, just a supportive tweet. And she replied, like, thank you for your support. I'm paraphrasing. Thank you for your support. I'm, I shouldn't have started this. I'm recovering from a hospitalization. Right. And what she did accuse me of was... Besides, actually, I just encourage people to go read it because I can't, I didn't memorize all of this stuff. But basically. Go, go encourage people to read what she wrote or what you wrote or what, like, read what? <laughs> just read up on the scandal or read up on the internet shit show? The most accurate thing on it right now is probably Wikipedia. But, so she tweeted some things. Accusing me of statutorily raping her. Right. Not a fun thing to be accused of. No. Yeah. No. Like traumatic. Well, traumatic not because of the accusation itself. Because me and her, we've joked about the underage thing. Like when we met, we were like total outsiders. Outside of any like state or national law, we weren't thinking of that we made fun of stuff like that right so she would say like she would use the word rape like very liberally like in a, in a in a joking kind of way yeah okay what was i talking about so i don't know i mean i guess like the the the, the genesis of the question is Wait, just... I, I remember okay go ahead so she accused me of that and her tweet said like Talon threatened to break up with me if I was under 125 pounds. True? That's not true. That's not true. And she also tweeted that I I drove her around to steal batteries to pay for my rent. (laughs) We did drive around and steal batteries together, but I would say... At least half of it was spent on stuff for her, because her mom only stocked like, Wait, why, the unhealthy why batteries. <laughs> batteries. Can you resell them easily or something? Or? Yeah, because okay. every battery company has like the highest quality battery, and a pack of four of them used to cost like ten dollars. You could steal like four of them at a time, and sell them on eBay for like eighty percent of the price. Okay. A lot of the money was spent on both of us and her because her mom would only buy the unhealthiest food. And to get any healthy food, we had to, like, buy it ourselves and to get anything else for her. So what you're saying is that, like, when she accused you of these things, like, some of the things were untrue, she was potentially writing in a state of mind that was not healthy. Is that accurate? Yeah. I mean, in some of the tweets, one was, like, 
I see monkeys supporting Talon. I'm paraphrasing it. I see monkeys supporting Talon every day. The man who raped, stole, and made me feel alienated. I can understand that. I mean, there's not the rape part literally, but I feel like in that phrase specifically, she was using the saying like raped and pillaged, that sort of thing. Yeah. But now that people, now that Twitter exists, whenever you have those feelings, you can just tweet them. Right. And then they'll get screenshotted. Yes. And then websites will put them up to like, gain a lot of visitors. Like to, Gawker like wrote about it. Yeah, Jezebel posted it first. And then they didn't even contact me. They seem to have contacted this anonymous person who says that I anonymously commented on her articles shit-talking her. That's completely not true. Yeah. And I emailed her asking her, like, saying that's not true. Why don't you show me a screenshot? She said because a person was, like, at risk of losing her job or something. But Ellen, who by now has had a sex change, so she's in an EK. ER. ER. She, he... I think she uses gender-neutral pronouns and prefers they, I believe. I'm not entirely sure about that. Okay. They, after seeing the article, tweeted, like, in all caps, someone get the Jezebel article taken down in another tweet, like, only Talon and I have the expertise to talk about her relationship. She just didn't want that up. But that, But by that time, Jezebel had moved on to, like, the next day of things to manipulate people with, get everyone angry at things that aren't based on facts. Well, Well, that's like generating virality. I mean, like the the internet rage machine, there's money in that. Yeah, I mean, the whole point of, of websites like Gawker is to create headlines that are shocking and will get clicks from people. So if Gawker, they don't, care whether or not it's true and whether or not it's ruining someone's career and potentially life to uh make an article that has a title like Talon is a horrific rapist when it's not based on fact at all um it and it probably did get them a lot of clicks which probably got them more money which is what they wanted but uh well i just remember i remember as an observer you know you read the the who's the young woman who wrote about Stephen tully dirks uh, Sophia Katz. Okay, so Sophia Katz, you read that and you're like, oof. And then like you read around that and it seemed like there had been a pattern of this behavior and it seemed more or less legitimate. Mm-hmm. Um, it was definitely like, a, I mean, it, it took him down. Like I feel like he kind of just disappeared from the scene and like hasn't been seen online. It was, and, and you know, bad behavior. I mean, you can't he, defend it. He was it. a serial rapist, so. Well, right. Diff, but it's a diff, it's, I felt like when the uh, Ellen Kennedy or ER, like they... You know, that stuff happened in conjunction. The two things sort of get conflated, and I felt yeah. like that was unfair. And then I felt like there was a lot of hysteria on social media in response. And I guess just to sort of draw a circle around it, because we started by talking about Twitter, you know, you can see sort of like the good and bad side of right. it. You sort of have to like live by the sword, die by the sword with social media. Like mm-hmm. like the virality can be great when it comes to building a readership and getting the word about out about your book or getting retweeted by so-and-so. 
But then if something shitty happens online or if somebody's trying to defame you or somebody's unstable and writing stuff, you know, about you that's not based in fact or if a publication starts to participate in it that has a huge platform and a huge readership, then suddenly you're on the uh, like the, the bitter end of the of the operation. Like, did it ever cause you to think um, like, I'm just going to stop. I'm going to just erase my presence and I'm going to be done with all this. I think for a long time I've been thinking not of stopping my Twitter account or Facebook. Because you did stop tweeting for a little while around there. I feel like you want, you just kind of press pause. Yeah, but I don't connect tweeting and Facebook and other Internet things with what I view as the people who caused this, which is the writer for Jezebel the writer for Gawker, and other people who linked it without doing any research about it. Did you hire an attorney? Uh, yeah, I mean, when um when the whole thing uh, sort of began and those tweets were posted, I think Tao emailed me, um, and I sort of saw that it was definitely going to be picked up by bigger media sites because at the time, just uh, rape in general was a, a topic that got a lot of clicks. So a website like Gawker that has their whole livelihood based in clicks would obviously want to report on someone like Tao uh, having a rape scandal. So I saw that happening. And before anything was reported, I uh, called up a friend who happened to be a criminal defense lawyer and um, got him to try to help Tao. But unfortunately, before he was able to send cease and desist letters to the websites, they'd already posted the articles. So all we could get was addendum saying that it was not horrific rape but uh and not even statutory rape for the record the age of consent in pennsylvania was 16 so it was completely legal um so all we could get really was a note at the end of the article saying that they were contacted by yeah like (laughs) oh by the way like tal's lawyer said this isn't true whatever but the headline stayed the same did that was that 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 gratifying or vindicating to you in any sense or it was like the damage done like do you just feel like do you feel like you got any kind of like justice no (laughs) Well, the damage was definitely done because by that time it probably had like 90% of its hundreds of thousands of views. But when Mira's friend who was a lawyer emailed them, he asked them to change in the headline horrific rape to statutory rape. And then they changed, like hours later they responded, and they changed horrific rape to statutory rape. But at the bottom of the post, they said my lawyer had emailed them asking them to change rape to statutory rape. So they just completely omitted that they put horrible rape. Yeah, right. Which journalistically, like, reflects really badly on them. Yeah. And, I mean, also, like, to the the note that they left, um, for lack of a better word, was kind of a bitchy note saying like oh well Tao's lawyer contacted us which really doesn't make Tao look very good sort of makes him look like he's uh trying to um you know hide something or trying to defend himself from something when in reality it was something that he didn't do and he was trying to get an article removed that was false information about him it's a very heavy accusation to levy online it's it's a career ruining and potentially life ruining accusation and to be totally honest I personally feel 
I felt incredibly angry about it. I felt extremely upset that they were accusing a friend of mine of doing something that he absolutely didn't do and something that could potentially ruin a career and a life and really damage more than one person and be um, really not helpful to real rape victims and to, you know, people who have actually committed this crime. And I think that writers at Gawker should be ashamed of themselves for doing something like that. Um, And they should know that they are doing something horrible to real victims of a very very serious crime and i think that it's 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 truly shameful okay and like when you like mira on your end of things like all of this is happening you you guys had this uh selected tweets in the works when this was happening like that had i think just had been announced or something yeah or it was relatively close in timing and then suddenly as a woman and somebody i know you consider yourself a feminist mm-hmm. somebody who cares about these issues and like is sensitive to the plight of women and receives a, uh, a penis pick on a daily basis <laughs> from a creepy stranger. <laughs> so, you know, suddenly, you know, your co-author, a male, is being accused uh, of this, and that implicates you. Like, but you never, like, like, what was your emotional state as all that was happening? Were you just, like, uh, trying to sort through it? Were you just like, this is completely crazy instantly? or? Well, I mean, it was incredibly upsetting. I, I was uh, called a rape apologist many times by people online, which I think is, is a ridiculous and insane accusation. I mean, I'm, you know, consider myself a feminist and uh, obviously consider myself somebody who is against rape and who, uh, um, you know, victims, I think, should be believed and they should be listened to, of course, always. But, you know, this was a situation where media outlets were picking up on something that was not based in fact, just so that they could get more money, essentially. And that... Um, and you knew that, right? I mean, yeah, right away. I mean, I knew it. I mean, I, I've known Tao for a long time and I've known him to be an incredibly kind and helpful person and... um somebody who is not violent and somebody who had a consensual relationship that, um, you know, maybe ended poorly, but we've all had bad relationships. And by the way, I mean, just broadly speaking, when relationships end, they almost always end poorly. That's why they're ending. I mean, well, so when this whole thing was happening, um, at some point there was a group formed on Facebook that, uh, was all women and it was female writers. Um, And it was basically a group for women to be able to feel safe talking about these topics just with each other. So no men were allowed. And um, in the beginning, it was really great. You know, some women were posting like lists of places that were safe to stay in certain cities, for example, to make sure that, um, you know, issues like this didn't happen again. Or, you know, some women were just talking about experiences that they had that they never got a chance to talk about. And that felt cathartic for them. And that was really a wonderful thing. And then... um, it sort of devolved into uh, into people, and I, I say this um, with care because I understand that victims should always be believed if they are saying that they've it's, been raped, it's and it's incredibly to, it's important. Tricky to talk about it's this very stuff. tricky to talk about, <laughs> definitely. But yeah. I I saw people who I had known throughout certain relationships that were completely consensual and the relationships were bad. You know, somebody was emotionally not very nice or somebody was... You've been in such relationships. Of course, I've been in many such relationships. (laughs) Absolutely. And we all have, you know. And um, that, just because it was such a scary and uh, present topic... Um, people were accusing people they were in bad relationships with of being rapists. And I got to this point where 
I felt that friends of mine who I knew for a fact weren't rapists and had been in consensual relationships, I was concerned that their lives would be ruined because they were being accused of being rapists. And generally speaking, you know, again, I, I, if generally if somebody is being accused of being a rapist, like I'm going to believe the victim over the person who's being accused of being a rapist. But there is a burden of proof. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a, an intense accusation to give somebody that you can't, it's, it's not good for real victims of the crime. It's not, it's not good for anybody to accuse somebody who hasn't done that of, of doing that horrible, horrible crime. And then to have myself be, you know, associated with somebody that people are calling a rapist was, was really horrible because I would never do that. You know, I would never write a book with somebody who was an actual rapist. And if, you know, like, and of course this isn't the case, but like if Tao ended up being a horrific rapist, of course I wouldn't publish a book with him, but he's not, absolutely not. He's uh, somebody who was a victim of, of poor uh, and morally reprehensible journalism. Okay. Any further comments or you mean? Yeah, one further thing. <laughs> one thing that I think a lot of people don't know is that I wrote an autobiographical novel based around my relationship with the person accusing me of this. I'm very interested in discussing relationships between men and women in women and men's relationships to society. I think women are very disadvantaged. And I had an experience that I think most people would say is questionable. When I was 22, I was in a relationship with someone who was 16, then turned 17 shortly after. That's definitely questionable to most people. And when I wrote the book, I wasn't writing it think like people are going to love me for this. I wrote it thinking like a lot of people are not going to like me after reading this. But since something so interesting to me and like sort of questionable happened to me, I felt like that's the thing I want to write about. That's what's going to help everyone most. That's the most difficult thing. Right. That's the thing that's going to make my life a little bit more hard but feel more meaningful. So I encourage people to talk about these things. And a good way to talk about it is through literature. And podcasts, by the way. <laughs> podcasts about literature. <laughs> because if you have a book, you can know what every character in the book exactly did. Anyone can know the exact same information. But when you're using celebrities to talk about these issues, no one has the same information about exactly what that celebrity did. And the discussion just is like almost impossible to be productive. But one way to talk about these things is through literature, I feel. Okay. So uh, shifting gears, um, you guys have this book of tweets out. And, you know, Tao, you've written many novels um, poetry collection, etc., novella. Uh, Mira, you're a poet. I feel like maybe a, a book of tweets is more. I guess you guys are both poets, so like a book of tweets feels like a natural extension of poetry. Uh, was there any conversation at the genesis of this project where you're like, 
is this is this worthy of a book it's twitter it's sort of disposable or it's online or is it like should we be publishing this is it in any way damaging to our more uh higher-minded literary aspirations or something did you have any of those conversations no i think we both immediately were just like yes that's a perfect idea and selected tweets will be the title it seemed it was instantly yeah i mean i think that we both um knew well because tau uh publishes edited selections of people's twitter accounts on moomoo house and the first place that i was ever published was an edited selection of my twitter account on moomoo house um so i think from the very get-go tao and i both knew that we had similar views about what uh how we tweet and how we view twitter which is that uh we don't put any less effort into it than we would into poetry or into a novel um it's just simply a different format and I think that the only reason why anybody would view it differently is just because it's a website and because it's a relatively new website. Uh-huh. Um, but in reality, um, and I think we talked about this in interviews a couple times, but it's, you know, the same way that a haiku is a specific format. You have five, seven, five syllables. Um, uh, Twitter is the same way. It's 140 characters and you have to get an idea into 140 characters. So yeah, I think it's a defined that, form. Yeah. So I think that, um, I think that Tao and I were both aware that that was how we viewed Twitter at the genesis of this book. And I think maybe I, I speak for myself when I say this, but if um, a higher minded literary person uh, decided that they didn't like this book solely because it is something that was originally posted on a website, that seems like shallow and like they're not quite thinking about it very hard. Because if you are really thinking about it. It's just simply a different format of writing. Um, And so the only reason why anybody would dislike it or think that it's not worthy of uh, being literature, so to speak, is is only because it's online. And that seems like a... It seems like you're missing the moment. Yeah, like I can't... This is where we are. I can't imagine, like, why... You know, everybody's on the internet. Like, the internet doesn't delegitimize. Is that a word? Yeah, yeah, I get it. Um, It doesn't, like make it less legitimate just because it originated on a website. Right. And so, Tao, you feel similarly? Yeah, I feel all of that. If people, some people who don't like Twitter, they might be confusing not liking just technology or people tweeting, promoting themselves. They're confusing things that aren't tweets that are presented as art okay yeah i mean and i also think like you know like jonathan franzen publicly dislikes twitter um and by the way he everything he says goes viral on twitter yeah so i mean i think that uh i think that jonathan franzen disliking twitter is a result of jonathan franzen not thinking very hard about uh literature and the possibilities of that form of literature and i don't I, I, i have a i have a theory that he secretly is on twitter (laughs) <laughs> you he think has he has a, like a secret account? I do. I hope he does. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> I think he's too curious of a guy and he's too, I, I, I guarantee you he's got an account that he logs into and has learned how to like search for his name and like, I bet you anything. Do you think he posts dick pics? <laughs> I don't think he posts dick pics. Really? Maybe some like, what, bird watching? I think I would like a dick pic from Jonathan Franzen. <laughs> if he's listening to this right now, my email is miraelgonzalez at gmail.com. Please send me a photo of your penis. <laughs> Uh, Tao, what are you working on right now? You said you're working on a novel. Yeah, I'm working on a novel. It's called Leave Society. I finished like 100 pages. 
and he emailed it to my editor last week, I think. It's called Leave Society. Yeah, and he emailed it. I emailed it to my agent. He emailed it to my editor, and he's looking at it now. Okay. And now, is that uh, Tim O'Connell? Yeah. I had him on the show. I know. Yeah. I like that show. Yeah, it was good. And Mira, what are you working on? Um, I was working on a collection of essays and still am. I put it on pause to work on selected tweets, um, right. but that's currently what I'm working on. I haven't sent it into my agent or anything yet, but okay. that's, uh, that's my next project. All right. Um, and you guys are on tour. Um, mini tour. Sort of. Yeah. West we Coast. did, we did a reading in LA and then we're doing a reading in Seattle next. And we just did two, um, events in New York, uh, last month. Okay. Well, it's been such a pleasure talking to you guys. It's good to hang with both of you. Yeah. Thanks. I noticed selected tweet was on your toilet when I use the bathroom. It's a good bathroom book. Yeah. It I is. like to have that there. I mean, it's in my son, my almost born son's bathroom. Yeah. But guests, I had a guest over the other night. They stayed in there. I hope they read it. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> That's what I hope. I hope that people read our book while they're shitting. Yeah, indeed. Well, it's good. It's good to see you guys. Congratulations on the book and best of luck with whatever comes next. Thanks, Brad. Thank you. All right, guys. There you have it. That's the show. That's Tao Lin and Mira Gonzalez. It's great talking with those guys. Uh, their book is called Selected Tweets. It's available now from Short Flight Long Drive Books. It's very funny. Go get it. It's an unusually uh, deep and heartfelt read, too. It's not, so, you know, it's not just a, uh, a throwaway. You can sink your teeth into it. You can read it on the toilet. You can sink your teeth into it on the toilet. <laughs> uh, you can follow Tao on Twitter. His handle over there is at Tao underscore Lin. And uh, Mira's handle is at Mira Gans. Go follow them on Twitter. Do yourself a favor. They're also on other social media. They're all over the internet. Facebook, Instagram. I think Mira even does Pinterest. <laughs> I still don't understand Pinterest. I'm working on it. They might have Tumblrs too. They have everything. Thanks to Kill Rockstars for the music. As usual, be sure to check out killrockstars.com. Don't forget to go get that app, the free Other People app. Get the app. Sign up for premium. Support the show, please. Thank you. Hey, do you want to email me? Do you want to let me know what you're thinking? Do you want to have a reaction to the show and share it with me? My address is letters at otherppl.com. Email me, letters at otherppl.com. Now, uh, about the show and the scheduling, I've been asked about this uh, recently. Like, what happens when the baby arrives? Is the show still happening? Are we on a regular schedule? I think so, is the best answer I can, I can give you. I think so. I've been banking a lot of interviews ahead of time. I've been trying to get ahead of myself so that I can, uh, you know, have uh, shows at the ready, interviews at the ready when this baby arrives and things are chaotic and I'm not sleeping. But who knows? If the baby's colicky or if shit is just more intense than I remember it, I might have to take a couple of weeks off. I'll let you know via Twitter. So follow the show on Twitter, at other PPL. Follow me on uh, Twitter at Brad Listy. Come on, I need followers. I want to build an empire. Should I live tweet the birth of my son? <laughs> I'm sure that's been done before. I'll tweet a little bit. I've shared enough of this saga with you guys that I feel sort of obligated to at least let you know, you know, when it's happening. Like, oh, hey, water broke going into the hospital. And then maybe if I'm bored, because here's the thing. There is, usually anyway, a lot of downtime during a delivery. It takes hours. It's not like tweeting during that process is egregious. You're just sitting there a lot of the time waiting for, uh, you know, dilation to happen. Waiting for, what is it, effacing? Something like that. There's all this terminology. It's out of my control. 
Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks to Tao and Mira for coming over and sitting down and talking with me so candidly. Thanks to Short Flight Long Drive Books. Check out their Cadillac. Check out, uh, check out uh, Hobart. Short, Light, uh, Short Flight Long Drive is a publishing imprint under the Hobart umbrella. Hobart, an online magazine, I believe. It's a big enterprise. Check it out. Elizabeth Allen, uh, you know, out of Michigan. Aaron Birch, I think. You know what I'm talking about. Short Flight Long Drive Books. Selected Tweets. Follow me on Twitter. My name is Brad Listy. This is my podcast. Go get the app. Thanks, guys. I'll talk to you soon. (laughs) 